doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Tiffany about epilepsy. 14 years ago, Tiffany had a grand mal seizure at the wheel of her car and crashed into a tree. This was actually her second seizure, the first being when she was just 16 years old. But it was after her second seizure at 22 years old when she crashed into a tree that she was officially diagnosed with epilepsy. She went through a long adjustment process trying out different medications, but Tiffany has what's called refractory epilepsy, which means that it's very difficult to control through medication. So while her medication helps to prevent grand mal seizures, she still has complex partial seizures every day, five to 10 on a good day, and sometimes 20 or more on a bad day. And she'll talk us through what those seizures feel like. She'll also tell us about having an SEEG test where electrodes were placed inside her brain to try to determine exactly where her seizures were coming from. She'll tell us about the massive adjustments she had to make to her life, both emotionally and physically, to be able to cope with constant seizures. She'll also give us some practical tips on what to do if you are around someone having a seizure. I learned a ton during this conversation. I just love learning about diseases from the point of view of the person living through them, and this one was fascinating. There's a ton of firsthand experience and practical information, as well as, you know, talking about the emotional side of having a disease that just turns on one day and won't turn off. You know, after her second seizure, uh, when she was diagnosed at 22, she's just been having seizures constantly since then. The floodgates were opened, and she's just had to adjust her life to, to compensate for it. And it's a really incredible story about learning to live with something uncomfortable, learning to live in discomfort, learning to thrive inside of something that felt impossible when it first started. And just a really, you know, great message, positive attitude, amazing person to talk to. So, we got a great episode for you today, and we'll be speaking with Tiffany in just a couple of minutes. Before we get to that, I have a couple of announcements. So first of all, we are just a couple of weeks away from the one-year anniversary of the Major Pain podcast, which is astonishing to me. I can't believe... I can't believe it. It actually feels like it hasn't been that long to me. I just love making this show, and it's really flown by. Um, and, you know, this is the 51st episode of this podcast, which is incredible. I just, I can't believe that I've been able to produce this many episodes of a podcast over the past year. Given my health situation, you know, this is a real accomplishment for me, and I want to take a moment and celebrate that when we reach our one-year anniversary. Something I've been thinking about for a while is how great it would be to get back in touch with some people who've appeared on the show in the past and find out if anyone has any updates. You know, if anyone with a mystery illness has gotten a diagnosis or if someone with a rare disease has found a new coping mechanism, uh, you know, or even if things have gotten worse. You know I, know, I know sometimes that is a reality of living with chronic illness is sometimes things slide in a negative direction. But I want to stay in touch with the people who've been on this show. So I just want to take this moment to say to all of our previous guests that have ever appeared on the Major Pain Podcast, if you would like to participate in our one-year anniversary, I'd like to check in with as many people as I can. So if something has happened since you've been on the show that adds to your story in a way that you would like to share with the rest of us, please reach out to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, if you've been on the show, you already have my email, but shoot me an email and let me know. I'd love to do a quick catch-ups with as many people as we can. 
We are only two weeks away from the one-year anniversary episode, so uh, if you'd like to come on the show, we've got to schedule it quickly and get something recorded, but it should just take, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to catch up with people. And, you know, I'm a little nervous that no one will be available or interested, but, you know, I figured, why not give this a shot, just make a public announcement on the on the podcast and see if anyone's interested. So, if you'd like to come on the show and fill us in on what's happened since you've been on the show, please reach out. This is something I'd like to do periodically in the future, so if you don't have any updates but something comes up in the future, absolutely reach out as well. This is hopefully the first time of many that we will get back in touch with our former guests. And yeah, I just hope that there are people that are interested. If not, you know, we'll do something else for the one-year anniversary, but I, I thought I'd throw it out there and see how it goes. This podcast is funded by listeners on Patreon, and we have a brand new $7 per month patron this week. So I have a massive thank you to share. Uh, Danielle Signorelli, thank you so much for becoming a patron of the Major Pain Podcast. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I'm going to add your name to the end credits of every episode. So please, if I say your name wrong, shoot me an email, let me know, and I will fix it. <laughs> um, but I'm just so honored by your support by everyone who's supporting this show. We're at 15 patrons, which is absolutely incredible. The fact that there are 15 people who've decided to financially support this podcast once a month, I am incredibly appreciative. Thank you to our Patreon producers, the four people who are supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, and Trish O'Brien. Your support is greatly felt and greatly appreciated. And to everyone supporting us on Patreon, thank you, thank you, thank you. Danielle Signorelli, our brand new patron, thank you so much. Uh, and I will be sending out your gift of a major pain coaster made by my mom in just a couple days. I send out gifts once a month, and we are just about to hit the beginning of the next month. That also means that it is time for our next bonus episode. Andy and I sit down once a month to record a bonus episode for our Patreon community. So if anyone who is a part of the Patreon community has any questions or uh, prompts or anything that you would like Andy and I to chat about in our next episode, don't forget to leave your questions as a comment on our last episode from last month on Patreon. It's a great place for us to see it, and then we will uh, chat about whatever you'd like in our next bonus episode. If you're interested in supporting this show by joining the Patreon community, you can head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's an incredibly helpful way to support the show. And you can also engage with the show on social media on Instagram and TikTok at majorpainpodcasts. I'll remind you that my guests and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting a doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic conversation with Tiffany about epilepsy. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Uh, you're someone else that I've connected through TikTok. Like pretty much everyone I talk to on the podcast these days, I've found through TikTok. So I've seen a little bit of your story online and your personality, and I'm really excited to get to know you today. Oh, it's great to be here. I can't wait to talk with you about this. Awesome. So Tiffany, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I, of course, have epilepsy. And I've lived with this condition for almost 14 years now. Um, yeah, I, you know, they don't know why I have the condition, but uh, 
it's something that I deal with every day. I have seizures almost every day. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really excited to, to dive into that and learn more. But before we do, why don't you tell us about who you are as a person so we can get to know you a little bit? Absolutely. So I am an epilepsy advocate, blogger, and the founder of the Epilepsy Network uh, organization. Wow. Very cool. I've talked to a few people who um, have chronic illness of one type or another who get into advocacy as a form of, you know, r- recognizing that there are gaps in the world as far as how things are dealt with or, you know, how the medical system handles that. Is that how you came to your form of advocacy? Yeah. You know, uh, what originally happened was uh, following my diagnosis, I knew nobody that had epilepsy. I was just completely dumbfounded and scared. There was an abundance of emotions that I was feeling. So um, I found uh, social media and I found a wonderful amount of um, individuals that uh, were experiencing epilepsy um, directly and indirectly, whether they were parents or, you know, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, so on and so forth. And they were very welcoming and supportive. Yeah, there's so much power in social media to connect people. Uh, we often talk about how isolating it is to be diagnosed with something when you know nobody else with that condition. So reaching out through the internet is an incredible tool to make those connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's dive into your, your medical story. So you mentioned that you have ep- epilepsy. So let's talk about your major pain. Tell us about your epilepsy. Yes. Um, I have epilepsy. Epilepsy has been in my life uh, for almost 14 years. Um, it'll be 14 years in December. Wow. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was a pretty scary time because um, what had happened was is I was driving my car to go purchase birthday and Christmas presents on uh, December 8th. And uh while I was driving, I blacked out and I crashed into a tree. Oh, wow. And that was a result of having a grand mal seizure. Terrifying. And that was my second seizure. My first seizure was when I was 16 years old. Wow. So once you have two seizures, that officially indicates that you have epilepsy. Interesting. So, if you ha- so some people will just have one seizure and never have it again. Is that true? Yes, yes, technically, okay. you know, you can just have one. Um, it can be for a multitude of reasons. Um, it could be low blood sugar, not uh, taking your medication or not getting enough sleep or all kinds of different things. There's a lot of different triggers that can, you know, cause a seizure. But yeah. So are there different types of epilepsy, different types of seizures? Yeah, there are different types of seizures. Um, of course, everybody knows the standard grand mal seizure where you pass out and you seize on the floor. And then there are other types. I have another type called complex partial seizures, mm. which I experience every day. Wow. And uh, I can't speak for other people, but when I experience a complex partial seizure, I will uh, just completely blank out. I'm able to hear, I'm still able to speak, but I lose my vision in my right eye. And sometimes my, you know, lips will quiver 
or I'll get a funny taste in my mouth. And I have to wait for that to pass. And it lasts about maybe five to 10 seconds long. So you experience that every day. Is it multiple times a day, once a day? Does it vary? Yeah, yeah. sometimes I have good days and sometimes I have bad days. On a good day, I can have between five and 10. And on a bad day, I can experience between 10, 20 and more. Wow, that's (laughs) disruptive. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's more annoying now Mm. that I've had this for, you know, so long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed at what people can get used to. So you've had 14 years to to get used to this. Has it become a part of a part of you? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, yes, it uh, interrupts my day. Um, I could be doing whatever, cooking dinner, folding laundry, and a complex partial seizure will hit me and I have to stop what I'm doing and wait for it to pass and then pick up where I left off. <laughs> yeah. Um, does that affect what you can do as far as, you know, an occupation is concerned? Yes, actually, I do have my limitations. Um, I can no longer work a job outside the home because um, I don't want to risk having a seizure um, at work and fall and hit my head. Yeah. Uh, I can no longer drive. Um, this is by choice for me. Absolutely. I well, choose not. you've hit a tree yeah. before. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I don't want to run the risk of, you know, hurting anyone else. Thank God I didn't hurt anyone else at that time. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I just hit a tree and only suffered whiplash. Thank God. Yeah. Poor tree. <laughs> <laughs> poor tree. Yeah. But no, the, the tree took the brunt of the, you know, accident. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's so lucky. And I can't imagine the feeling of having a seizure and crashing a car into someone and harming someone because there's, there's no fault in that scenario. Like, what are you supposed to do? Not have had the seizure? No one chose, no one chooses to I have know. seizures. And I'm sure that that's happened to someone and, you know, my heart goes out to everyone in that scenario because that's just one of those horrific accidents that just, you know, it's just awful. So, yeah, I don't drive either. I mean, I have a mystery illness and I have a lot of periods where I'm not functional and they can hit me out of nowhere and I choose to not drive because I don't feel safe either. So, I totally understand that. I I had a really good day a couple months ago out of nowhere and I I drove for the first time in, in... a couple of years and I was like, wow, this is great. But, you know, I I know when my body is telling me that I shouldn't do that and it's pretty much every other day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a choice that I make as well. Cars are dangerous, you know? They are too. Yeah, they are. And I don't know how I managed to do it, but I had a split second where I knew something wasn't right. I just saw like white flickering lights in my eyes that day and I just slid my foot to the brake because Mm. I could feel my limbs growing weak. Oh, wow. And I don't know if I tapped the brake or not, but my car, I guess, was, you know, going slow as it hit the tree. Mm. Oh, wow. So So lucky. I didn't, you know, hit the gas or anything. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So your first seizure was when you were 16. What was that seizure like? (laughs) You know, it's so ironic. Um, I was actually more concerned about taking a history test 
the next day because I was scared <laughs> that I wasn't going to pass. So, <laughs> yeah, so I went to bed uh, getting ready for school the next morning, and but I didn't wake up to go to school. I woke up uh, on a gurney. Wow. Headed down the stairs. Oh no! And they were, <laughs> and they were asking me, "Did you take any drugs?" Yeah. And I was in and out, and I looked over at the paramedic, like, "Are you insane?" No, <laughs> I did not take any drugs. Like, what's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, terrifying. Yeah, I, I had no idea what happened. And when they told me I had a seizure, I was like, "What's this seizure?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you? I mean, how do you react to that as a 16-year-old? You don't. You have no idea. You're <laughs> clueless. You're a teenage kid, and the only thing you're concerned about is school, friends, um, you know, the simple things in life. <laughs> yeah. So, how long was it until your second seizure? Oh, well, that was six years later. You know, I wow. was 16, and then I was 22, and I was just married. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a newlywed. <laughs> And we were just uh, getting our lives started. Yeah. So that's a very traumatic yeah. time to to black out and crash into a tree. I know. I know. We were. I was totally not ready for this. My husband was not ready for this, and our lives were just immediately flipped upside down right out the gate. <laughs> yeah. Had you thought about your your first seizure much in those intervening years between sixteen and twenty two? Well. Yes and no, in a way. Um, when I started dating my husband, I told him that I had had a seizure mm -hmm. because I wanted to get him or I wanted him to know about me. Yeah. So that was pretty much the gist of it. I didn't anticipate ever having a seizure again. I thought right. it was a one and done. <laughs> right. Yeah. So once it happens again and you were you diagnosed with epilepsy immediately after? Well, of course, you know, they had to run their tests, you know, the CAT scans, the EEGs, and uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, as I was saying, once you have uh, two or more seizures, you're likely to be diagnosed with epilepsy. Yeah. So, did they find anything on any of these tests? Have they ever been able to give you any idea of why this is happening? Oh, you know, for years, I had run the gamut of tests. Um, hospital stays, all kinds of things. And they could not find a reason for why um, I was having seizures. And um, about three years ago now, I did a test called an SEEG, where they uh, placed electrodes inside of my brain to try and locate where my seizures were coming from. Wow. And they discovered that, you know, my seizures are right here. They're coming in the back of my head on the uh, left hand side. Wow. I've never heard but, of that before. Sorry, continue. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. But still, they don't know why. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I've had yeah. an EEG before. If I remember correctly, that stands for electroencephalogram. Is that correct? Yes. Th those are big words. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to really say. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the S in the SEEG? Stereo. 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 Yeah, yeah. Stereo electroencephalogram. And that is, they put electrodes inside your head? Yeah, inside my brain. And, wow. you know, yeah, uh -huh, I know. It's, it's kind of scary to think about it, you know, if you think, but it's not so bad. You know, it's not as bad as you think. I was really uh, 
uh, anxious to want to do that. It took me a few years to really get comfortable with the thought of doing it. But I was so uh, desperate to want to try and stop my seizures that I was just ready to go for it. I had to get over my fear and just do it. Yeah. Because I wanted to see if I was a candidate for brain surgery. And this test revealed that I'm not a candidate for brain surgery because where my seizures are coming from, if they try to remove that spot, it would uh, damage part of my vision and my speech and my memory. Wow, this is some heavy stuff. I <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> bring that, so, <laughs> bring wow. them on. Okay, let me let me go through these one at a time. What is the process of putting electrodes in your brain look like? Ooh, well, a doctor would be uh, the better one to ask, but I'll try and do my best. Sure. So um, they ha I used to have hair down to my uh, hip area, so I donated my hair to uh, to um, those that have cancer. Mm. So they had to shave my head <laughs> wow. in order to yes. <laughs> to be able to insert the <laughs> electrodes inside of my brain. I had to be put under. That alone must have been so traumatic. I mean, if you, you know, I, I used to grow my hair really long. So, you know, it is, <laughs> it is a, a commitment of years. It is, you know, it is a, a choice that people make and you get very attached to your hair. So to have yeah. hair down to your waist and to have to shave it off completely, was that traumatic? Well, no, because I wanted to donate my hair. Mm-hmm. But the thought of shaving my head was kind of one of the, <laughs> that was big. That was really big because yeah. I would have no hair, go from long hair to no hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Crazy. Okay. So, you shave your head and then a doctor places electrodes in your brain? Is it like se several locations across the brain? Is it, you know, do they lock your head in a vice and then drill in? What do they do? <laughs> Well, you know, given that they'd done the EEGs, the VEEGs, they had a rough, um, solid idea of where my seizures were coming from. So they put electrodes in this spot okay. to try and monitor the, just the back left, the back left side of your head because yeah, okay. they wanted to see if for sure this is where they were coming from. Because if that were the case, I could be a candidate for surgery. And so I had to stay in the hospital for about 21 days and they took me off of my medication because they wanted me to have seizures uh. to see, you know, um, if this was indeed the spot and if it were safe enough for me to have brain surgery. So what was the medication that you were on that they took you off of? Well, I'm on three different medications right now. Um, I'm on zonisamide, Onfi, and Lamictal. Okay, and the combination of those three, um, you're obviously still having seizures. So does that um, limit the, is it trying to limit the amount and the severity? Well, it's, thank God, it seems to be doing a really good job at holding back my grand mal seizures because ah. I used to have quite a few grand mal seizures and the complex partial seizures. Now I'm just having to deal with the complex partial seizures on a daily basis. Wow. Okay, so you, you do this procedure, they put some electrodes in around the area that they um, suspect the, the seizures are coming from. How deep do they have to insert those electrodes? Well, they uh, place it on the surface of the brain, and they even go just about a quarter of an inch inside of the brain. 
Wow. So they do have to drill through the skull a little bit? They do. Yeah. What's the recovery process like and what are the risks? Oh, uh, the risks are minimal. And recovery is maybe like a couple of weeks. But, you wow. know, um, it's it's very simple. It, you know, uh, you nothing you need to really be concerned about too much. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, I know it, I know it sounds really uh, frightening. And like I this is what caused me to really have to pause and think I wasn't ready to rush in and do this because I had a lot of questions. I wanted to talk to other people that also had this procedure done. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I really hope that someone someone out there is hearing this conversation and getting those answers from you who has, you know, been through it to be able to hear someone else talk about it is so invaluable. So I really, you know, appreciate you sharing all this. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot, you know, yeah. through doing this procedure. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, and you were also considering brain surgery. So it sounds like if they had decided that the location of the seizures was operable, you would have gone for it and had a piece of your brain removed. Is that correct? Yeah, if if they had told me that I was a candidate, that would have been another situation where I would have needed time to think and mm. pray and really, you know, just kind of find that inner peace to say, okay, I'm ready to do this because that's another huge step, you know, to Absolutely. have brain surgery. It's one thing to do an SEEG procedure. And it's another thing to have brain surgery, surgery. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the risks in that are so high. You were saying that it's not operable because it could affect, you know, who you are. It could affect your speech. It could affect your, could it, I'm assuming it could affect your cognition. Yeah. Maybe even your personality. Yeah. Yes. I was actually, you know, brought to tears when my doctor came in and he sat down on the bed next to me and he said, uh, look, we could do this seizure or uh, procedure, and um, but I don't want to do that because I think you're too bright, and I don't want to mess up your vision and your speech and your memory because uh, he follows my blog and oh. he likes my writing, and wow. he he didn't want you know me to lose that my ability to write and to read. That's incredible. I mean, what, wow, what, what great care to be under. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful story. It's, it's so rare for a doctor to take interest in the human being that they are treating. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. So you got, you got a little bit of information from this test. You find out exactly where your seizures are, but they yeah. still can't tell you why. So no. you've always lived with this mystery. This is something that I, also live with is this in living inside of a medical mystery. Um, how does that feel for you to have something medically happening that impacts your life so profoundly and not know why? Well, if you would, if you were to ask me this maybe five years ago or something, I probably would be really bothered and, uh, you know, depressed a, a number of uh, emotions, but I feel at peace and I feel okay with it because um, I've been given purpose through this. Mm. Um, I love the fact that I can help others uh, find their way in this journey. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why, but I know that through having this, I can do something good with it. Yeah, you've taken something challenging, something difficult, you've channeled it into something important and meaningful, and it's yeah. become uh, an integral part of of what you do and who you are, and that's really powerful and really healing. You know, yeah. I I've talked to people who have said that if they could. Uh, you know, go back and make it so they never had their health problems, they wouldn't do that because it's become so integrated into who they are. Is that is that how you feel? That's how I feel. It's really, it's really changed my perspective on life. It's a constant reminder to appreciate the little things in life. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy for some people to hear, but um, I'm appreciative of the, the good things that have come out of it. Totally. Yeah, that's something that we come we talk about a lot on this show is before you're challenged by health issues in the good moments you just kind of take them for granted and then you focus on the bad moments and you just wish you had more and you're unhappy <laughs> because yeah. because you've never been challenged but once you're challenged and and you find ways to feel good again you appreciate it so much. You know, you just yeah. love the good moments. And you really cherish them, and yeah. all of that joy becomes cumulative, and then you feel happier. And <laughs> it's weird, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, know. it's a weird process. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it feels like it shouldn't happen that way, but you know, I know you're echoing something that I I feel, and that I've heard other people say quite a bit on this show. It's really bizarre. I I know. Yeah. So, how has this impacted your personal relationships? It, you know, you mentioned that you were just dating your husband when. Um, you were when you had your second seizure, um, or you just married your husband when you had your second seizure. So yeah, mm-hmm. I know I know from experience how challenging it can be to have one member of a relationship have some intense health challenges. How has that been for you? You know, uh, <laughs> it's amazing how um, uh, a, a chronic illness or something um, disastrous can bring family and friends closer. And it sure did bring family closer yeah. and made us appreciate one another. You know, um, my relationship with my brother and my sister just grew so much stronger, rock solid, always contacting one another, uh, making sure that we're okay, you know, uh, checking up on one another, um, sending cards, phone calls, texts, so on and so forth. And um, I've had the pleasure of teaching them seizure first aid mm. and they're they're very excited to learn all about all the, th- the things that i'm doing in my advocacy work yeah so, tell me about seizure first aid i've never heard of that before that's a great thing for oh, anyone to know yeah that is absolutely a great thing to uh to know uh something that everybody should uh incorporate into their um into their life, especially if they don't know somebody with epilepsy. (laughs) And the thing that I would say is to, when you see somebody have a seizure, if you don't know them is first of all, call 911. If you've never seen a seizure before, just dial 911 right right off the bat. But um, you want to lay the person down and make sure that they're in a comfortable space and push away anything that could harm them. And you want to turn them on their side so that no saliva or any liquids will 
um, go down into their chest and they'll choke upon that. And you want to time the seizure. Time it. This, yes, you want to time the seizure. Okay. The seizure goes, goes past uh, four minutes. Um, then you're going to want to call 911. This is if you know the individual. Gotcha. So if, you, has, if you're with someone who has regular seizures. Yes. Uh, and yes. You, you know that this is a part of their life. If it goes yes. beyond four minutes, call 911. If you're right. with someone that you don't know and you've, you know nothing about their situation, you call 911 immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. A seizure shouldn't go back or go past four minutes. But if they're wearing a tie or anything tight around their neck, like a necklace, you want to make sure that's taken off so that doesn't, you know, choke them or, you know, get stuck around their neck. But once the seizure subsides, you want to be there and you want to comfort them as they come out of that seizure. Okay. Because they're going to be really confused. They're going to be, you know, really uh, um, anxious and, wondering what's going on, what happened. So, yeah. So in the movies, we often see when someone has, has a seizure, they will like put something between their teeth. You know, someone no. else will like put something in their mouth. Yeah, tell me about that. Unless you want to break their teeth or you want to lose a <laughs> finger. <laughs> and, but you do not want to do that. Okay, good to know. No. Do not do that. No. <laughs> Movies are once again unreliable. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Because again, you know, um, the best thing is to turn them on their side. So any uh, saliva or liquid in their mouth will just drain all out of their mouth. Okay. So uh, chances are, you know, what we do is we usually clamp down our teeth real hard because our bodies are tensing, our muscles are tensing real tight when we're seizing. Okay. And do you want to like hold their head or anything or put anything under their head? Um, if you want to, you know, place something, you know, like a, uh, a coat or if there's a pillow nearby, you can place underneath their head, but you don't want to hug them. You don't want to uh, hold them down or anything. You just want to make sure that they're safe until the seizure subsides. Awesome. Well, that's great information. Thank you so much. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're learning stuff on this podcast today. I've already <laughs> learned a ton that I've never heard before. So this is fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious about the time in your life when you were in your early 20s, right after you were diagnosed with epilepsy. So after your second seizure, did you start having seizures daily right away? Or was it like a, a ramping up process for it to start happening every day? What What was that transition like? Oh, I was having seizures uh, every day. And, you know, it was a medication adjustment process mm -hmm. because we were trying to figure out what combination of medication would help me, you know, stop the seizures. I have what's known as refractory epilepsy. And what that means is it's difficult to control with medication. Mm. So we would have to, you know, implement all kinds of different medications, multiple medications, different uh, uh, levels. And it was very hard because my seizures just would fight back. Mm. <laughs> they would fight back. So um, I was having grand mal seizures. I was having complex partial seizures back to back um, all the time. It wow. was hard. <laughs> so it was almost like a switch was flipped and seizure mode was turned on and then it just went. Yes. I went from one seizures to no seizures to a second seizure and then all the seizures. seizures. <laughs> yes. Wow. 
I, I can't imagine the emotional toll that that must have taken. You seem to be in such a great place now. You've accepted it. You've made peace with it. You've learned to live with it and work with it. But that process yeah. can't have been easy. No. <laughs> I In the beginning, I like I said, it was a whirlwind of emotions, uh, terrible emotions. I went through a depression mode that seemed to last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I lost friends. Um, who I, I, for some reason, I can't understand why. I don't think I'll ever know why. Um, that was really hurtful. Um, and I was trying to adjust to the, um, the limitations that were placed on me. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that really is, really will tug on your, um, emotions and your mental state. So I was angry. I was frustrated (laughs) just trying to adjust. Yeah, so, I it breaks my heart every time I hear someone say this that they lost friends when their health changed. Um mm-hmm. it's common. You know it happens to a lot of us and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it because it happened to me and I I feel like I feel like I I think that a lot of it is fear that if someone sees yes. someone who is, you know, who they know as being young and healthy and suddenly they aren't, they don't mm-hmm. want to see it because they are afraid that it could happen to them. So yeah. they just kind of put blinders on and mm. ignore you and in that way aren't there for you. And then you lose that friend, you know, it's yeah. like, how can you be friends with someone who isn't willing to see you in your totality when that includes chronic illness? So, yeah, I mean, it's just heartbreaking when that happens. Like people with chronic illness, we want to have friends too, you know, it's not like we don't I want know. friends, you know, like when we, know. when we get sick, it doesn't change our emotional needs. It just, mm. it, it amplifies them in some ways because all of a sudden you're dealing with this thing that is, you know, dropped on your lap out of nowhere, is remarkably unfair, may yeah. never be solved, may never change, and yeah. you have no idea. And I, I think everyone um, who, who experiences that goes through depression. And if, you ha- if you've experienced that and not gone through depression, tell me how. <laughs> I know, right? The way I see it, it made room for more uh, meaningful, lifelong relationships and friendships. Totally. Yeah, the people that matter will be there for you. Yeah. And it weeds out the people that won't be there for you. And why are we trying to hold on to relationships with people that won't be there for you? (laughs) Right? Yeah. I know. But it's tough when you're young because, you know, as you're maturing, you know, you want everyone to like you because you want to... Yeah. Be a likable person and you're trying to figure out how to do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. So when people don't like you for something that is um or not that they don't like you, when when people abandon you for something that is outside of your control, it, there's no way to not internalize it and feel like you've done something wrong and have shame <laughs> around your illness, which is so unfair. I know. <laughs> yeah. Is that something you ever felt was was shame around having a chronic illness? I, I did a lot of self-shaming and self-blaming. Wow. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I searched my entire past life before my chronic illness for anything that I might have done, you know, that might have caused me to have that seizure or mm. be diagnosed. And I blamed myself for all the mistakes I'd ever made in the past. Wow. <laughs> How do you get out of that mode of thinking? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, we, of course, we're human, we make mistakes, but we can't really place those on us, you know, 
you know, chronic illnesses can happen to anybody at any time, but you know, it's not our fault. Right. <laughs> we, Absolutely. you know, we, we didn't cause it, you know, nothing that we have done is, you know, the cause of our chronic illness. Yeah. And it can take years to be at peace with that thought because yeah. I've, I've done some self-blaming as well. I've, I, I, analyze my behavior, trying to figure out if I did something wrong, did yeah. something to trigger it. Did I eat the wrong thing? Am I, yes. you know, am I standing the wrong way? Am I thinking the wrong thoughts? Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it, it amplifies your self-awareness in a lot of ways. Yeah. Did you experience that as well? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, you, eventually get to a place where you you well for me i got to a place where i'm like okay i have to depersonalize this mm. because i'm at the place now where all my doctors are saying okay you didn't do this to yourself you know we don't yes. know what this is but you didn't do it to yourself um and there's just kind of no use in blaming yourself because mm -mm. it wasn't your fault so no but then coming to terms with like it's like the whole thing of being struck by lightning, you know, like I, I have this thing that no one else has. Yeah. Um, and that can be really hard to let go of as well. Once you've depersonalized it, then it's almost like the universe is punishing you. Did you go through that as well? I, I did a lot of, you know, of blaming, you know, God. I know that I was just like, okay, uh, what did I do? You know, why am I being punished? Um, and that was a tough time. And then I just, again, I realized like I didn't do this to myself. I, there's nothing that I did that caused this. Um, and it was just one of those situations where it's like, I can just stay in that spot and go round and round and round, or I can go forward and <laughs> do something positive with this situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And that takes years, you know, getting to that place takes years. And um, the important thing is, is getting there. And a lot of people with chronic illness get there. You know, I'd say, yeah. I, I, I don't know what the statistics are. I want to say it's a majority. I have no idea. But, you know, a lot of people that I have talked to are, are either have gotten there or are on the path to getting there. And yes. um, it's really difficult, but it's so doable. And then you find this like contentedness on the other side that is really surprising. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say it's like a flip of the switch, you know, uh, easy to do. It does take time Absolutely. and it does take support, which again, I'm so thankful for uh, those in the community, the chronic illness community and family and friends that uh, helps me to stand back on my feet and, you know, uh, just shed that fear and shame and blame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you found the, the right trio of medications that works for you. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you use, like tools, tips and tricks, practical things? You know, you mentioned working from home. Yeah. Do you have yourself set up for seizures? Do you have like an emergency kit for seizures? How, how do you, what, what is the practicality of living with this? Oh, you know, I have my little things here and there that helped me for, you know, once I recover from a seizure, I have um, my ice packs, you know, to relieve the horrifying migraines because once you have a seizure you have terrible migraines mm. <laughs> that could last hours or maybe an entire day so uh, it's always good to have those on hand um 
another thing is, is that you want to make sure that you're, you know, staying active. So I exercise daily um, and safely. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me some of the details of what, a, what safe exercise looks like for someone with epilepsy? Sure. So um, I used to work or work out at the gym, but uh, I had a seizure at the gym. Hmm. So, you know, I had to stop working out at the gym and we just built a little nice uh, home gym where it's nice and safe. And I have, you know, people around me, my husband around me. Um, and, you know, I just do exercises that uh, only incorporate my body and some with light weights. And I just, I listen to my body. If I feel good enough to be able to use weights, then I use weights. But if I feel funny, any auras or any funny feelings, I set those down right away and I back up mm. and I call out to my husband and say, something's happening. I don't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. You, like we we're talking about, you develop that self-awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, the mind-body connection is very important and oh, yeah. learning how to interpret it is a challenge, you know? Oh gosh. Like every, every single person's body is different and we all have to kind of learn our own bodies. And when you have a sudden change and it takes years to like figure out what's going on, you develop patterns and you recognize things and you, you know, you adapt. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's very powerful. And um, stress is a huge uh, seizure trigger of mine. So I always have to be mindful of just trying to avoid stress and just to de-stress yeah. when that, you know, comes yeah, about. That's huge. What are your, what are your de-stress techniques? Oh, a couple of different things. I like to do my breathing exercises, um, you know, just take time and, you know, close off everything, um, turn down the lights, listen to relaxing, calming music, and just focus on my breathing. Yeah. Is there like a music playlist that you lean on? I really like to listen to uh, my favorite actually is Slow Daz. Mm -hmm. It's really comforting and relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to take that time to, you know, calm your nervous system. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's something that no one does enough, you know? Well, that's not true, but I don't do enough. And I was thinking <laughs> about that recently. It's like, what, what do I do to relax? I play video games and you know go on my phone and oh you do too oh nice <laughs> i do i play mario brother <laughs> oh you do that's amazing yeah i i love mario games i grew up on mario games and then i played a ton of i used to actually live stream mario maker for years really um, yeah oh my what's gosh. your what's your favorite mario game oh i'm torn between mario 3 and probably um, the first Mario. Who who can deny the first yeah, Mario Brothers? <laughs> totally. Yeah, Mario 3 and Super Mario World are my two favorites. Oh, yeah. I haven't dug into that one yet. I oh. have that one. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That one is a treat. That still might be my all-time favorite video game. It's definitely in the top three. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And what's great about that, too, you know, uh, just to mention that, is that I love that video games are actually starting to implement um, mentioning if uh, there are anything, if there's anything in video games that have flashing lights, they'll put a warning before you even begin playing. Yeah. That, you know, if you have seizures, there's photosensitive 
you know, lights and situations in this game. So uh, call your doctor or don't play this game at all. Yeah, so important. So yeah. do you have that type of trigger? You mentioned that stress can be a trigger, but is flashing lights a trigger for you? It, it's so funny. Um, seizures, epilepsy has a tendency to, you know, shift and change. Um, I used to have a, sensi- a sensitivity to lights. Um, I don't now, but I did. Hmm. But I don't take the chance. So yeah. anytime I'm in a situation where there's flashing or flickering lights, I lower my head or I turn it off and I won't look. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I have had people try and attack me on social media with, you know, uh, strobing what? Uh, gifts and yes, unfortunately. What? Wait, what? Yes. yes. That is disgusting. Wait, people have sent you <laughs> flashing lights yes. on social media to try to trigger a seizure? Yes. As like trolling? Hate, yes. Unfortunately, I hate oh to say it. Oh my God. <laughs> I hate to say it. <laughs> is sickening. I can't even. I know. Ugh, people are the worst. I know. <laughs> Who would do that? That's disgusting. I don't know. People that need education. <laughs> wow. That, I, I don't even know how to process that. That's really deeply upsetting. I'm so sorry you've dealt with that. I, it, you know, I'm not the only one that they target. So, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. There's, there's epilepsy trolls out there. That's mm-hmm. one more thing for us to worry about. <laughs> one more <laughs> unnecessary evil of humanity. That's disgusting. Right. And if you uh, take a look at my TikTok, I just posted a video about um, an individual who decided to make a, uh, a epilepsy comedic, um, with quotation air quotes, video. <laughs> wow. So. Wow. Well, okay. I got to get my mind back on track because now I'm just very <laughs> mad at these people. So we're talking about playing video games and, you know, yes. like for me, that's like distraction therapy where if I have chronic pain, I like to distract myself. I'm playing through Jedi Fall in Order right now and I'm absolutely loving uh-huh. it. Um, so, but that's not necessarily zen time you know i'm fighting Hmm. monsters (laughs) i'm learning to be a jedi it's very (laughs) exhilarating but it it takes my mind out of the pain and it gives my nervous system a break from experiencing chronic pain but what i have been failing to do is that zen time that relaxation time and i -hmm. I, you know every time you go on social media something stressful happens like you see like stressful news or horrible trolling or Something yeah. awful happens. So I, I've been realizing I need to find ways to disconnect and and just chill and just get in like breathing exercises or something. So it sounds like you're doing that. Uh, if you yeah. could give me any details, I, I would love to hear about that. Well, yeah, you know, um, I do try and limit the amount of news that I watch. I, I rarely even pay attention to the news unless it is dire, you know, situations that are occurring in our world. Which is yeah. happening right now, of course. <laughs> which but, there's um, dire situations upon dire yes. situations happening right now. Yes, but you know, um, I need to, of course, get a little bit better. But uh, take breaks in between, you know, my social media work, and just to get up, walk around, get a, you know, breath of fresh air, just <laughs> chill with my kitties, <laughs> you know, because it's easy just to get locked in to what you're doing. And just be stuck there for hours and, you know, so it's good just to get up, stretch and, you know, move around so you're not plugged in, you know, the entire day. The the entire day will pass you by. (laughs) (laughs) 
And what about breathing exercises? Do you have uh, specific ones you do, or do you find them on YouTube, or where do you, where would one go to find a good breathing exercise? I usually just cater them to my, you know, to my liking. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find uh, all kinds of good uh, breathing exercises on YouTube if you'd like. But, you know, for me, uh, I like to just, you know, again, just uh, shut out the world, turn off all my electronics and, you know, uh, play some nice calming music and just, you know, inhale on a count of 10, exhale on a count of 10, nice and slow. Yeah. And just, you know, put my mind in a place of comfort. For instance, I will, you know, go to the mountains. Yeah. Or... Awesome. Something peaceful. There you go. There's the there's the instructions <laughs> on how to try breathing exercises. Thank you. Um, yeah. So tell me about your your social media work and your advocacy. When did you start doing that? Oh, okay. So yes, I was diagnosed um, in 2008, and I began blogging in 2011, and I also created the Epilepsy Network in 2011. My husband helped me to create this. He's a graphic designer, so uh, he helped me to develop it. Um, And uh, the Epilepsy Network is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and it has its own website. So, um, yes, on my blog, Rise Above Epilepsy, I talk about my journey, and I also help people uh, with advice and motivational content. Awesome. And does that bring you a sense of purpose? Oh, it sure does. It sure does. If, and I uh, hear from a lot of people, um, people that are, you know, living with epilepsy, and they tell me, you know, how it's really helped them to navigate their life with epilepsy a lot. And I hear from parents saying, you know, this uh, information has helped me to really uh, be able to communicate with my child better. And that makes mm. me feel good. <laughs> yeah, that's so important. Yeah, I I think about that a lot, about not just having chronic illness, but being the parent of a child with chronic illness. That's a completely different um, challenge. So, mm-hmm. you know, work like that is so important to bridge that gap. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've done a really amazing job today. I've learned a ton, um, so much fascinating information in there. I mean, I, I'm really excited. You know, I, I go through and I edit these and I um, I listen again and I pick up all new things the second time. So I'm really excited to re-listen to this because there's so much great information in here. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I have one last question for you. So sure. if you could address someone who was just diagnosed with epilepsy and is scared and doesn't know what's going to happen next and doesn't know what to do um, in that moment of turmoil, do you have anything that you could say that might be helpful? You have a great community that is eager to support you. So don't ever think you're alone. Awesome. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, Tiffany, do you have anything you'd like to, uh, you know, we talked about your organization and and your blog, Um, any social media you'd like to plug, or if you'd like to tell us one more time where to find uh, all the great work you're doing online. Sure. So I am able to be found on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm also available on uh, Facebook, the Rise Above Epilepsy Facebook page, and my blog, riseaboveepilepsy.com. Awesome. And I'll tag you on Instagram 
Instagram and TikTok when I post this episode, if that works for you. Yes, and please do find me on TikTok as well, Tiffany Caro's Official. Awesome, Tiffany Caro's Official. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for your time. You did an excellent job today. Um, I really, really appreciate getting to learn about your history and your journey with epilepsy and learning about something that's just important for everyone to know. You know, the the yeah. practical tips about what to do if you see someone having a seizure, so valuable. Um, yeah. So much great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, and Danielle Signorelli, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, and Trish O'Brien. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.